0: Good morning and welcome everyone, if you'll please stand with us. My strength is in your name for you. Are...
1: Be seated. I'm so thankful that we have nothing to fear. Hallelujah. Nothing to fear because the God of angel armies is by our side. Good morning. Welcome to Northside Baptist Church. So thankful that you are here. If this is your first time, we want to welcome you. You are our guest and we are delighted to have you. So thank you for being here. We want to help you, serve you, love on you any way that we can. We also want to get to know you a little bit better. One way we do that is by just asking you to fill out the inside of your bulletin. You can tear that off, and there's a box right outside when you go out in the foyer if you will drop that in there just to let us know a little bit more about you. If you are interested in beginning a relationship with Christ or how to become a member of Northside, or if you have a way that we can pray for you, you can mark that as well. Uh, We want to be faithful to do that. Let me go ahead this morning right now and mention some announcements. Awana starts tonight at five twenty-five. You want to arrive a little bit early. Uh, things are going to look a little bit different, so if you're a parent of a child in Awana, you have been getting emails and you know what to do. And so we just want to allow for a little bit extra time. We have a quarterly conference tonight at seven o'clock. So I encourage you after Awana, uh, after our Bible study, which David teaches, and that'll be around five fifty or six o'clock tonight. Just to stick around for our church conference, if you're a ministry leader. Hopefully you received an email from me. Uh, We're going to ask you just to share just a a minute or so tonight about how the Lord has used uh, your ministry and those who serve in that ministry throughout the past year. Uh, Two really, really important announcements. One, if you are a new member, you have joined Northside in the last nine months to a year, and you have not gone through a new member's class, as soon as the service is over, meet me in the fellowship hall for a very, very brief, I mean, we're talking two or three minutes meeting uh, as we talk about what that class is going to look like. So if you've joined, meet me in the fellowship hall. If you are thinking about joining, you have been talking about it. You've been praying about it. You're like, man, I want to know more about Northside. I want to learn a little bit more about Jesus. I want you to come to the fellowship hall as well. So if you do decide to join, you've already gone through that class, and you can learn a little bit more about us. So uh, we'll explain what that class is going to look like. Just meet us over there. And one last announcement, and I forgot it, that little cup right there next to you, right there. Uh, The Lord's Supper. So we are going to take the Lord's Supper next Sunday, and I'm just going to give you a heads up. It's going to look very different than it has probably ever looked here at Northside before. So when you come in... Next Sunday morning, every chair is going to have one of these little cups that has the bread on one side and the juice on the other. This is to prevent our deacons from walking back and forth and us passing the plates and maybe touching the same piece of bread or the same cup. So, so this will be at your seat. Um I'm still trying to think through the most worshipful way for us to take this next week. And so I've got an idea, but I'll guide you through that. If you're watching online, we want you to be able to participate as well. So this week, you can stop by the office. We have these available for you. Um, so starting tomorrow, I'm trying to think if Ms. Kim had a time on here. She did not. But just give us a heads up, email, uh, or call the church and let us know. But we want you to swing by and get these as well. So we will be taking the Lord's Supper next week. Um, it's going to be different. So when it's over, right, don't say, well, I didn't like that. Look, we don't really have any other choice. We're learning through this. So it still can be worshipful. And we can eat of the bread and drink of the cup together. Our scripture this morning that we're going to pray through is Psalm 66, verse 5. I love this verse. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds toward the children of man. But we just look at that verse and just rejoice in your heart? Man, Come and see what God has done. And just praise him this morning for the awesome things that he's doing in your life. Will you just have a moment of prayer and praise, and then I'll pray for us. Father God, we declare that you are the living God. Because you are living, that means you are working in our lives right this moment. You are at work here, oh God. So Spirit of God, move in this place. And Lord, my prayer this morning is simple, that every single person who is here can declare that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that he is my Lord and my Savior. So, Father, help me to clearly present who Christ is this morning from 1 John. And if there is anyone who has denied that, may they repent. May they turn from their wicked ways. May they go from denying Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, to confessing this very morning that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. May they receive eternal life. May they be saved having been forgiven of their sins, and now having a right relationship with you. Oh, God, you have done awesome things. You are doing awesome things. And, Lord, we right now come with the expectation that you will do something awesome in our midst this morning for your glory and your honor because you are worthy. So we praise you together, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. If you'll stand, let's worship together. your Bibles to 1st John as we stand in honor of the reading of God's holy, inspired, and authoritative word. 1st John, the plan at the beginning of this past week was to finish out uh, verses 20 through 27. That changed on Thursday as I was finishing up, so we're just going to look at verses uh, 22 through 23, and then we'll finish out um, next week. But let's begin in verse 18, and we'll read... uh, and then we'll, we'll go through the Word of God. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard, that Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrist have come, and we talked about that last week. There, we, therefore, we know it is the last hour. We also looked at verse 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. Verse 20. And we'll dive into this next week. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father Also, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. You may be seated. I have two questions for you this morning, and they're going to appear on the screen. Question number one is simply this. Will you confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that he is your Lord and he is your Savior? Have you confessed that? Will you continue to confess that? And if you have never confessed that, then my prayer is by the end of this sermon, you this morning will declare that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, your Lord, your Savior. You'll repent of your sins. You'll take hold of Jesus, and you will receive eternal life, and you will be reconciled to God the Father. That's question number one. Question number two is this. Are you ready to die for that? Are you ready to die for the confession that you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, Lord and Savior? Now, here in America, we have experienced little to zero persecution for our faith. Those days may be changing, and they may change quicker than we even realize. But are we willing and are we ready to die for believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, Lord and Savior? Uh, In our text, we see that there was a group of false teachers. Uh, John refers to them them as antichrist because they were opposed to Christ. And we find out this morning what, in fact, it is that they were denying. So what did they deny? What was making them the false teachers? And then the second thing I want us to look at this morning is this. What are the consequences of this denial? What are the consequences of you denying that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, Lord and Savior of your life? So let's jump right in. Here's the first thing I want you to notice from our text. The chief mark of false teaching is the denial of the Bible's teaching about Jesus. How do you recognize a false teacher? Well, the first thing that you can look for is what do they teach and believe about Jesus Christ? Are they denying the Bible's teaching about jesus look there in verse 22 who is the liar stop who is the liar if you have your bibles go to john chapter 8 verse 44 john chapter 8 verse 44 listen to what jesus says these are strong words he says you are of your father the devil and your will is to do your father's desires He was a murderer from the beginning and he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. Look at this. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Since the early church, Satan has actively opposed the truth of God's word especially with regard to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ his death burial and resurrection for us paul warns in acts chapter 20 verse 30 he says from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them so so john begins here by saying who is the liar well, we know the liar ultimately is Satan and these false teachers are just doing what their father Satan does. They're lying. Look what he says. Who is the liar? Here they are. But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. He who denies that Jesus is the Christ. What are they denying? You say, duh, pastor. They're denying that Jesus is the the Christ. But what does that mean? Well, upon first reading, first glance, it may, we may think it means that they are simply denying that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament scripture, saying the Messiah is coming, and Jesus is now saying, I am the Messiah. Obviously, there were Jewish, Orthodox Jewish men and women who denied that Jesus was the fulfillment of these Old Testament prophecies. Is that all that it means? At first glance, you may say that's simply what it means. They're denying that Jesus is the Messiah, the anointed one. But I think it means more than that. Look what John says in chapter 4, verse 2. This is helpful in us to understand John's big picture. Chapter 4, verse 2 of 1 John. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ, these are key words, has come in the flesh is from God. That Jesus the Christ has come in the flesh. That's ultimately what they are denying. John Stott summarizes it well. The false teachers denied that the man Jesus and the eternal son were and are the same person. In a word, what they are denying is the incarnation of Jesus Christ. That Jesus is God in the flesh. They're denying that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Stock goes on to write, The heretic's theology is not just defective, it is diabolical. So in John's day, as John is right, following after Jesus, he sees Jesus raised from the dead. He begins to preach about Jesus. Right, They're beginning to plant churches. As he's writing these letters, there is a man by the name of Serentis. And I briefly mentioned Serentis, I believe, in the opening uh, study in 1 John. There's a man by the name of who who is living in the time of John. And here's what Serentis believed. He was an early Gnostic, and Gnosticism kind of comes from this. Here's what he believed. He believed that Jesus was born a man. Not God in the flesh, but he was born a man. That Jesus lived as a man, just like us would live as human beings. At his baptism, the Christ came upon him. So up until his baptism, Jesus is just a boy, just a man like you and I. At his baptism, Christ descends upon him so that now he is Jesus the Christ. It remains upon him right up until his crucifixion. At that point, the Christ leaves, and it's just Jesus the man dying on a cross. So he's only the Christ for about three years. Everything else, he's just Jesus the man. So what they're denying, what Serenthus was denying, is that Jesus was both fully man and fully God. They were reducing Jesus, the Jesus that John knew in his preaching about. They reduced Jesus to the status of a mere man. And he was not the Christ. He was not the Son They denied that Jesus and the eternal son are the same person. Sorenthus, along with many others throughout history, are denying the incarnation. Since the early days of the church, Christians have had to defend this truth and even died for the truth that Jesus is not just a man but that he is the Christ, the Messiah that is prophesied about, but that he is also God in the flesh, that he is God among us. You think about the Apostles' Creed, right? This confession of faith that most of us know. Here's how the Apostles' Creed begins. I believe in God the Father, Almighty, Almighty Maker, Creator of of heaven and earth. That's what it says about God. But then listen to what it says about Jesus, It's much longer because, again, they're defending who Christ is. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. They say a lot more about Jesus than they do God the Father why because from the beginning since jesus death burial and resurrection there have always been those who have denied that jesus is the christ the son of god so very quickly in summary who is jesus you must believe these four things that i'm about to tell you we could say a lot more but who is jesus well jesus is the christ He is the Messiah. He is the anointed one. Look what it says in verse 22. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ, the Christos, the Messiah, the anointed one. He is the one the Old Testament spoke of, points us to. Jesus is the fulfillment of that. He is the Christ. Secondly, Jesus is the Son of God. Period. Exclamation point. There is no discussion, no debate. Look what John says. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. To deny that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, is to deny God the Father. If you deny that Jesus is the Christ, you are denying god the father why because the christ of the bible is god in the flesh amen Amen. this is god in the flesh jesus the messiah god among us god in the flesh first john chapter 4 verse 15 whoever confesses that jesus is the son of god god abides in him and he is god You must confess that Jesus is the Son of God, or God does not abide in you. How about these verses? Matthew 16. If you have your Bible, please turn there. Matthew 16. You know these verses. I just want you to see them. Jesus is having a conversation with some of his disciples, right? Beginning in verse 13. Matthew 16. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Jesus is the Son of Man. He's saying, who do people say that I am? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Peter, the spokesman for the group, replies, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, period. Peter makes two statements. One, he says, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, you're the anointed one we've been looking for, waiting for, and you are the son of the living God. And what does Jesus say? Peter, stop. That is blasphemy. I am not the son of God. There is one God, and I am not he. Is that what Jesus says? No. This would have been his moment. If Jesus, the Christ, was not God in the flesh, if he was not the son of God, This is Jesus' moment to set everybody straight. But what does Jesus say? Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Why does Jesus not rebuke Peter? Because Jesus is God in the flesh. He is the Son of God. Now hear me. Every religion, every false religion, seeks to diminish or take away from Jesus' divinity. They seek to diminish the truth that Jesus is God. So let me just give you one example. Jehovah's Witnesses. Jehovah's Witnesses, so faithful to come knock on your door, more faithful to share their, their religion, their faith, and we are sometimes ours. But So just in a quick study of what do they believe about Jesus, right Here, here's what they believe. They believe that Jesus was created by Jehovah. That is not what the Word of God teaches. Jesus is not a created being. Jesus is God who has always existed. It wasn't like Jesus didn't exist and now he's born to Mary, poof, there he is for the first time ever. No, he was God, now he's in the flesh. They believe that he was created by Jehovah as the archangel Michael before the physical world existed. So he began as an archangel Michael, then he becomes, through his birth, Jesus. And they believe that he is a lesser Though mighty God, take your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. This is so, so key. Chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word there, the logos referring to Christ. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. He was with God from the beginning. He's not a created being. He's been there. Now, this is key. And the Word was God. The ESV, I believe rightly, translates that, And the Word was God. Jehovah Witnesses translate that, And the Word was a God. Very different. Jesus is either one of many gods, or He is God. He is God. And John is clear in First John, if you didn't think he was clear in John chapter 1, that Jesus is God. So he continues, right? He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him is not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. Verse 14, and the word, Jesus, became flesh. God became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the Son of God. You must confess that to be saved and have a relationship with the Father. We also know that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord, amen? He's Lord, Philippians chapter 2, verse 11. In every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You must confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And Jesus is also Savior. Chapter 4 of 1 John, verse 14. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Jesus said he came to seek and save the lost. Jesus Christ is the Savior, the one who saves us from our sins and justifies us, declares us righteous, and makes us right with God. This is who Jesus is. And the chief mark of false teaching is that they deny that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, Lord and Savior. But here's the second thing I want you to notice. To deny that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, has eternal consequences. Look what John says. Verse 22, who is the liar, but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. Verse 23, no one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. John is crystal clear. He says that if you deny that Jesus is the Christ, the Savior, the Son of God, Lord, if you deny these things, then you deny God the Father. I've heard people say, hey, look, man, I believe in the same God as you. I just disagree on who Jesus is. And I would say, if you do not agree with who Jesus is in the Bible, then you and I don't have the same God. Because the only way to come to God the Father is to come through Jesus Christ the Son. Jesus isn't negotiable. You must come to the Father through Jesus. That's how you enter into a relationship. right? Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man, that includes you and me, right, comes to the Father except by me, except through Jesus. It is only the Son who can reveal the Father to us. God reveals himself to us through the Old Testament, to the promises and through the covenant. But then Jesus, God in the flesh, comes on to earth, and now he reveals himself to us. We know who he is through Jesus Christ. It is only the Son that can represent and reconcile us to the Father. It is only through the sinless life of Jesus his perfectly keeping the law, his dying in my place, his being raised to conquer sin and death and to overthrow Satan. It is only through believing in Jesus that I can be reconciled to God. That here is Jesus, the great priest, coming from God because he is God and he represents God to us. He shows us this is God. And then this Jesus ascending to the right hand of God the Father Intercedes on our behalf as he now fully man represents us to God living a sinless perfect life. Hear me, church. What we believe about Jesus matters very, very much, and it is the difference between an eternity with God the Father and an eternity being separated from God the Father. John is clear what you believe about Jesus determines whether you spend eternity in heaven or hell. 1 John chapter 5, verse 11, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. That's good news, amen? That you can have eternal life. He says here in our text, and this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. Verse 25, but how do we have this eternal life? Chapter 5, verse 11 says this life is in the Son. You can't have eternal life apart from the Son, Jesus Christ. A Jesus who is not the incarnate Son of God, who is not God in the flesh, who has not lived a perfect, sinless life, who did not die for our sins and raised from the dead for us, is incapable of bearing your sins and bringing you into fellowship with God. This is not negotiable. Either you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, Lord and Savior, or you don't. Think back to the opening verses of this letter. What is John trying to communicate if you go back to 1 John chapter 1, verse 1? That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. What is John saying? He's saying, listen, I'm an eyewitness. I was there. I saw him. I heard him. I touched him. John is saying, I have the authority to teach because I know who Jesus is. And who is Jesus? He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. John has the authority. And you and I have one response to that. We must believe in this Jesus. You must believe in the Jesus of the Bible, not in the Jesus of your invention or of your imagination or of your interpretation. Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, Savior and Lord. And if you deny who Jesus is and what Jesus, what Jesus said, not only about himself, but what the authors say about Jesus, if you deny who Jesus is, then hear me, you are also denying what Jesus did for you. Because if we can't believe that Jesus is who he said he is, then how can I trust that Jesus really, through his death, burial, and resurrection, accomplished what he said he will accomplish. I can't. If I can't believe one, then I can't believe the other. So if we believe that through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus that we can be saved and have eternal life and be right with Jesus and live with Jesus forever and ever and ever, then we must believe that Jesus is who he said he is. If you don't get Jesus right, everything else goes wrong. So two questions. They'll be on the screen again. Number one, will you confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the Lord and Savior? Will you right now make that confession? If you have never made it, will you make it? But here's a second question. Are you willing to die for that? Are you willing to die for that? Ligon Duncan writes, we live, my friends, in an easy place. Many Christians must give their lives... For this confession, but the easiness of this place makes it a hard place because we can fool ourselves into thinking that we're confessing Christ when we are not. Let me read a story to you. It's a story about a man named Dimitri. I read a book several years ago called The Insanity of God. The title, I was like, what is this talking about? The Insanity of God. But then it talks about a true story of faith resurrected. So it's this, this man who went to the mission field, and he just began to interview Christians who were suffering for their faith. And he began to see that they had a living faith, a resurrected faith, that they really believed in Jesus and were willing to die for it. So let me tell you about a man named Dimitri. It's going to take me a couple minutes. It's one of the most powerful stories I've ever heard. Man, when I read through this the first time, I began to weep. Dimitri was arrested for his faith. He was moved a 1,000 kilometers away from his family. They locked him in a prison. His cell was so tiny that when he got out of bed, it took but a single step, either to get to the door of his cell, to reach the stained and cracked sink mounted on the opposite wall, or to use the foul open toilet in the far corner of the cell. Even worse, according to Demetri, as he began to share his story, he was the only believer among 1,500 hardened criminals he would spend 17 years in prison and every morning at daybreak dimitri would stand at attention by his bed and it was his custom that he would stand and he would face to east he would raise his arms and praise to god and he would sing a heart song to jesus every single morning the reaction of the other prisoners was predictable dimitri recounted the laughter the cursing the jeers Other prisoners would bang metal cups against the iron bars in angry protest. They would throw food at him, sometimes their own human waste, to try to shut him up and extinguish the only true light shining in that dark place every morning at dawn. So every day he would stand, face to east, and he would sing this song. He also had another habit that he developed. He would find any scrap piece of paper that he could find. He would find a small little stub of a pencil or a tiny piece of charcoal, and he would write down on that little piece of paper every Bible verse he could think of, every story he could think of, every song, every lyric he could remember. And he would take that piece of paper, and when it was completely filled, he'd walk to the corner of his little jail cell. There was a little concrete pillar. He would put that piece of paper up there, offering this praise to God. The guards would come in, and when they would find this paper fragment, they would take it down. They would beat him severely. They would threaten him with death. And every day, he rose to sing this song. And every time he would fill this piece of paper, he would put it up there on the pillar. This went on year after year. His guards tried to make him stop. They did unspeakable things to his family. At one point, they even led Dimitri to believe that his wife had been murdered, his children had been taken by the state. They taunted him cruelly. We have destroyed your home. We have destroyed your family. Day after day, year after year, and finally, Dimitri's resolve broke. He said, that's it. I'll write any confession I will deny that Jesus is the Christ. Give me till tomorrow morning. You write up the document and I will sign my name to it. I just want to get out of here and I want to go be with my children. Demetrius said, bring it tomorrow and I will sign it. That very night, he sat on his jail cell bed. He was in deep despair, grieving the fact that he had given up. He had had enough. At that same moment a thousand kilometers away his family Dimitri's wife his children who were growing up without him and his brother sensed through the spirit of God this great despair of their father and of their husband and they begin to gather and they got on their knees and they begin to pray for Dimitri Miraculously Dimitri said The Holy Spirit of the living God allowed Dimitri from his prison cell to hear their prayers. And he knew they weren't dead, but they were alive. The next morning, when the guards marched into his cell with the documents, Dimitri's back was straight. His shoulders were squared, and there was strength on his face and in his eyes. He looked at his captors, and he declared, "'I'm not signing anything.'" They were furious, and they demanded to know what happened, why the sudden change. Demetrius smiled and told them, In the night, God let me hear the voices of my wife and my children and my brother praying for me. He said, You lied to me. I now know that my wife is alive and physically well. I know that my sons are with her. I also know that they are still in Christ, so I'm not signing anything. His persecutors continued to try to discourage him and beat him and silence him. But Dimitri remained faithful. And then one day, one day they had had enough. And so they take Dimitri and they drag him from his cell. And they are dragging him down the corridor past all of these prisoners when he said the greatest thing of his life happened. Every single prisoner stood to their feet. And they faced the east, and they began to sing the song that Dimitri had sang every day of his life in prison. He said it was the greatest thing he had ever heard in his life. The jailers were terrified. They immediately stepped back from Dimitri, and they say, Who are you? Who are you? And Dimitri responded, I am a son of the living God, and Jesus is his name. Church, I love that man. Here is a man who was willing to die, and he suffered. And in the moment when he was about to give up, the Spirit of God gave him this resolve, and he said, I am the son of the living God, and Jesus is his name. They ended up releasing Dimitri. He got to go home and be with his family. Church, Are you willing to suffer for the confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? Let's just be honest. It's easy. It's easy to walk in here this morning. It hasn't even crossed my mind that somebody may come in here and arrest any of us. I mean, could I? With the same confidence that I walked up here this morning, next week, if I knew that if I stepped behind this pulpit, I would get arrested, may not see my wife or my kids again, they may grow up without a father or a husband, because I declared the name of Jesus, would I, as confidently as I did this morning, walk to this pulpit? I don't know if you and I will ever have to make that decision. Maybe we'll never face death or suffering for the name of Jesus, or maybe, just maybe we will. And will we in that moment declare that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? Listen, everything these days uh, with with COVID is a little bit different, including when somebody wants to come forward and join the church. It's a little bit different. So it's going to be a little bit different this morning. But, man, I just want to share with you a couple people who over the last couple weeks or last couple months have made the decision to declare that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. So we got Andrew back here. Andrew, will you stand up, man? This is Andrew. those watching online, you can't see Andrew. Andrew, you can be seated, man. They can't see Andrew, but a couple weeks ago, Andrew and I had lunch at Wendy's, and I knew that God had already been working in his life, and so he was kind of sharing his story, and he said, look, man, several months ago, I woke up on a Sunday morning, and I was struggling with some things, and uh, do I go to church? Do I not wrestle with some things? He said, I decided to come, and that morning, through the Spirit of God, you preached on the very thing that I was dealing with. He said, man, I just gave my life to the Lord.'" So Andrew, next Sunday morning, is going to get baptized. He's going to get baptized, man. We're going to, we're going to celebrate that. We're going to celebrate that. Andrew wants to be, become a member here at Northside, and we're going to pour into him and disciple him and, and help him grow. And so we have that commitment to do that. Man, new, a babe in Christ, but he wants to become more like Christ. He declared that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Last week, Crystal, Crystal, I'm going to have you stand. Crystal's over here. This is Crystal. Crystal came. Last Sunday, after the service, coming through the line, Crystal with tears in her eyes said, Hey, I want, I want to talk to you. So we went into the fellowship hall, and we just began to talk. And she said, look, I want to declare Jesus to be the Christ, the Son of God. I want to give my life to Jesus. So last Sunday, man, we had the the privilege, right, to pray right there in the fellowship hall. She gave her life to the Lord. And Crystal, too, is going to follow the Lord in baptism. And we'll set up a time for that. And she, too, is going to join Northside. God is at work. Will you celebrate one more time for her and that decision she made to follow Jesus? Look, this isn't in my notes, and sometimes I get in trouble when I go off my notes. Look, I know how passionate we can get sometimes when we declare our allegiance to a political party or when we declare our allegiance to a sports team. We need to be far more passionate about declaring that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, Lord and Savior of our life. And when somebody makes that decision, it is our responsibility, our obligation to disciple them so that they can go from babes in Christ to mature men and women in the faith. So you've just got to see how two people recently have given their life to Jesus Christ. So here's my question for those of you who have never done that. Why not? Why will you not make the same the same step of faith that they made? Why will you not this morning, right where you are, say, Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are my Lord and my Savior, and I'm all in, and I want to follow you, and I want to follow you in baptism. I want to give the rest of my life.